How many of you in this room desire to grow in your prayer life? How many of you find it difficult to pray? Challenging. I can relate. We often get distracted. Our minds start wandering even if we don't want them to. There are times when our zeal for the Lord is is low and it's difficult to pray. And then there's many of us who really need God to answer our prayers quickly. We are desperate for God to hear. And so many of us want to know how to make prayer work. Well, the psalm that we're looking at this morning will help us as we pray and seek the Lord for help. Psalm 5 is a personal appeal to God by David about the problem of evil that he sees all around him. David helps us see what it looks like to pray with confidence in God's character and his mercy. So open your Bibles to Psalm 5, to the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For your glory and our good. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the header for our psalm this morning says, To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Again, this psalm was supposed to be sung in congregational worship. And this time, 
accompanied by flutes. Maybe we should ask Michael to arrange that for us. We know from this header that King David is the author, but we don't know what, when this particular psalm was written or what exactly was going on in David's life, but we do know that there were people speaking lies and doing all sorts of evil. This psalm starts off as a psalm of lament. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Whenever you hear, O Lord, most likely it's a psalm of lament. But again, like last week's psalm, it quickly morphs into a psalm of confidence. And partly it's also an imprecatory psalm because David prays for God to go after his enemies. And this psalm is also another morning psalm. David mentions in the morning twice in the same verse, verse 3. And remember we talked about Psalm 3 being a morning psalm, and then Psalm 4 being an evening psalm, and now we have Psalm 5 being a morning psalm, and we'll see next week that Psalm 6 is a evening psalm, because David talks about every night flooding his bed with tears. And so in a way, we're reminded that our entire day, from the rising of the sun to its setting, should be filled with prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. Well, in this psalm, David teaches us what our prayers to God should be like. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, says, this is actually a generic prayer that shows how we must approach God if we would be heard by him and what we can expect of him when we do. And so while David is specifically addressing his immediate situation, we can take the principles from this prayer and then apply them to our own prayers. So we see five stanzas in this psalm, and so this morning we're going to have five sections. And so for you note-takers out there, I've got five points. So we will see, number one, prayer involves coming to God. Prayer involves coming to God. Point two, prayer involves appealing to God's character. Prayer involves appealing to God's character. Point three, prayer involves confessing our sin and God's mercy. Prayer involves confessing our sin and God's mercy. Point four, prayer involves presenting our requests presenting our requests. And point five, prayer involves rejoicing in the refuge of God. Prayer involves rejoicing in the refuge of God. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text, is this. Our confidence in prayer relies on God's character and the abundance of his steadfast love. Our confidence in prayer relies on God's character and the abundance of his steadfast love. All right, so let's look at our first section. Prayer involves coming to God. Verses 1 and 2 say, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. Prayer is Coming to God. David 
goes to the Lord because he has a personal relationship with God. And he knows that God listens to his prayers. And we see here that David calls out to God with his whole being, with his words, his groaning, and his cries. David first prays, give ear to my words. Most often we express our concerns to God through spoken words. But sometimes we can't find the words to express what we are feeling. And so we groan before the Lord. In this psalm, David asked the Lord to consider his groaning. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to, pr- we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We groan and the Spirit groans for us. And the Lord hears our groanings. And David also pleads for God to give attention to the sound of his cry. Sometimes we're in such a painful trial that all we could belt out to the Lord are cries. And God is not offended. And God is not embarrassed by our cries. God hears all kinds of prayers. And David uses all three, even in this one psalm. Spoken words, groanings, and cries. But David also teaches us here how we should come to God. Have you ever wondered if you were approaching God rightly in your prayers? It seems as though David prepared his prayers. In verse 3, he says, In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now, this verse isn't saying that David prepared a sacrifice on the altar. He's talking about his prayer. The reason why our ESV Bibles use that word sacrifice is because that word that David uses in the Hebrew is the same word that is used to describe how the priests would prepare and lay out the sacrifice on the altar. And so the picture we get here is David is carefully arranging his prayers before he goes to the Lord. He's thinking about what he wants to say before he says it. He's purposeful in the way that he prays. It would be good for us to prepare before we pray. We should think about God's character. Think about his holiness, his power, his goodness, his mercy, his love, the works that he has done for us in salvation. And then also reflect on the specific sins that we need to confess before the Lord. Think about the trials we are facing, the needs we might have. Think about the things that we could thank the Lord for. David says, Lord, I prepare myself. Often in the church, we have this assumption that being spontaneous in prayer is more spiritual. But that's not true. David mentions that he's preparing his thoughts before going to the Lord. He thinks in advance. He organizes his thoughts. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, Do we not miss very much of the sweetness and efficacy of prayer by a want of careful meditation before it and hopeful expectation after it? 
We too often rush into the presence of God without forethought or humility. We honor God by preparing before we meet with him. In verse 3, David also mentions twice that he prays in the morning. That's a good model for all of us, to begin your day with prayer. And if you find it very hard to begin your day with prayer, well, Hudson Taylor is a great example for us. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, struggled to find time alone with God, and so he woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning to have those quiet hours when everyone else was asleep so that he could have a quiet time with the Lord in prayer. A day that is centered on God begins and ends with prayer. David says that in the morning he prepares his prayer and then he watches. He's expectant. He believes that God will answer him according to his perfect timing and will. And so he watches, he looks with expectation. In our home, we need to be very, very careful about telling our daughter Zoe when people are coming over. Because if she knows someone's coming over, she will sit by the window forever and watch and continue to ask, are they almost here yet? This is how we should be when we have prepared our prayers and taken them to the Lord, watching, eagerly waiting to see what God will do. And what was David's confidence as he prayed and he watched? In verse 2, David says, Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you do I pray my king and my God. Through faith, David had entered a covenant relationship with God. And so he could call the God of heaven, my king and my God. David knew that all throughout the scriptures, God had said to those who trust in him, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And the Lord offers all of us the same relationship through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when Thomas saw Jesus risen from the dead? What did he say? My Lord and my God. And so if you have not believed in Jesus and worshipped him as your Savior, your Lord, and your God, then you cannot come with confidence to the Lord in prayer. The only way to be confident that God will hear your prayers is if you can say, my King and my God to the Lord. And this is essentially what we're saying at the end of our prayers when we say we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we are saying is that, God, I am praying to you through the personal relationship that I have with your son, the Savior that you sent to reconcile me back to yourself. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 23, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
May we pray prayers that are expectant. And may we have confidence because Jesus is our King and our God. Of course, he answers his, our prayers according to his wisdom and his sovereign will. But as we pray, let us be expecting. Let us watch. We've seen that prayer involves coming to God. And now in verses 4 to 6, we see that prayer involves appealing to God's character. David focuses on God's holiness here in these verses. God rejects evil in everyone who does evil. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Often when we go to the Lord in prayer, we bring our list right away. Here's our list of requests, Lord. It's interesting to think about here that David doesn't even make one request to God until verse 8. More than half of this psalm, David is coming to God and worshiping him, recognizing whom he is speaking to. Remember in verse 3, David referred to his prayer as a sacrifice in worship to God. And so the chief aim of our prayers should be the same as the chief aim of everything we do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief aim of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what happens when we go to the Lord in prayer. We worship and we glorify him. Prayer is worship. That's why it's such a blessing to have our prayer meetings. We just had one last Sunday night, and it was such a joy to gather and worship the Lord and then take our requests to his throne. And so I recommend coming to our prayer meeting. You will all be blessed hearing your brothers and sisters in Christ praying. Here in these verses, David is proclaiming truth about the character of God. He is saying, here's what I know to be true about you. You are not a God who looks the other way when it comes to wickedness. Now, why does David say that? Well, later on in the psalm, David's going to seek God's help against the wicked. And so I think what he's probably doing is praising the Lord for his holiness and his righteousness because that has to do with the requests that he's going to make later. He's concerned about the wicked, and so he praises God for his holiness and his hatred of sin. This is a great example for us to call to our minds and to call to God's mind the specific attributes that relate to the situation we're praying about. There's this new children's book that we've been reading with Zoe on the Psalms. It's called God You Are. And I love it because it gets to the heart of this point that the Psalms, while they address the problems and dangers that we face, they also proclaim back to God who he is according to the specific situation. Right? So in times of fear, God is our refuge. 
In times when bad things happen to us, God is our deliverer. When we stray from him and make bad choices, he is our shepherd. When things in our life are all changing around us, we remind ourselves that God never changes. When we are alone, we are reminded that God is near. Here in these verses, David says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. He praises God that he takes no part in evil. Those who are evil and arrogant cannot stand in his presence. The Lord destroys those who speak lies and deceit. That's a great truth about God that people are quick to ignore. We take sin so lightly, but to God, it's a great offense. He is He is holy, and because of that, he is worthy to be praised because of how different he is from the wicked. Christian prayer should always be grounded in the character of God because it's who God is and what he is like that gives us confidence to pray. But this great truth about God presents a problem for us, right? If verses four to six are true, then we all have a problem. Have you ever found yourself delighting in wickedness? Have you ever caught yourself boasting or thinking too highly of yourself? Have you ever told a lie or been deceitful? says here, the Lord destroys those who speak lies. So if the answer is yes to any of those questions, we have a problem. Here is a God who is good, but also a God who is holy, who cannot tolerate sin. A lot of us want to talk about the problem of evil out in the world, Look at what's going on out there. If we're going to point out the evil out there, then we need to recognize the sin within each and every one of us. Prayer involves coming to God. Prayer involves appealing to God's character. And now in verse 7, prayer involves confessing our sin and God's mercy. David writes, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. That is a significant verse. When you get to that verse in this psalm, you go, whoa, that's important. David realizes that everything he's saying about sin and how God deals with sin relates to himself. He himself is a sinner now coming before a holy God. And so how then can David David say, I will enter God's house through the abundance of God's steadfast love? 
No sinner would be allowed to enter based on their sinfulness. But David says, I will enter through your steadfast love. That, that word translated as steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. It's the only Hebrew word that I know how to pronounce. <laughs> it's a word that can be translated in a variety of ways. Steadfast love, mercy, loving kindness. We should actually just put all those words together. It's by the steadfast, loving, covenant, mercy, and grace of the God of the Bible who promises salvation in Jesus Christ that we are able to enter. David realizes that he's just like everybody else, a sinner. And so he comes before God, not proclaiming his own character, not with his own works, but confessing God's character confessing God's steadfast covenant love. We will never grasp the greatness of God's love and mercy unless we first understand God's hatred and wrath for sin and sinners. If you think it was no big deal for God to save you because you were already a pretty good person, you're getting the gospel wrong. The good news is not good unless you understand that God is furious against each and every sinner. The only way that we are able to approach God, the only way that we could be saved is by the abundance of his steadfast love. David is preaching the gospel here. David doesn't come saying to the Lord, hey, I'm the one who slayed the giant. David isn't coming, well, I'm the guy who wrote all the Psalms. David isn't coming, I'm the king. David says, but I, according to the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. So how should we come before God? Not boasting in our works, not what we have done, but by the covenant mercy that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Sometimes Christians are accused by unbelievers of considering themselves as better than other people. And at times, we wrongly give people that impression. But we are not better people. We are sinners who have received mercy. 
And so many people want to know, well, then what is it going to take? What, how will prayer work? What do I got to do? Because we got some things to be prayed about. We have serious issues and trials and troubles. And some of us are not doing well, and we need prayer to work. And there are so many resources out there that will give you some sort of formula and words to use. Diane and I just recently watched a movie where there's, where there's people were lighting a candle as they prayed. And if the candle was lit, it meant that God was listening. And if the candle went out, they would have to light it again so that God would listen to them. Friends, God is not like that. That is religious superstition. Lighting a candle, dimming the lights won't work. What makes prayer work is the loving covenant faithfulness of God towards his people. That's what makes prayer work. Of course, I've been showing you principles and a method about getting prayer right. But the method and, and getting it right is not what makes prayer work. God answers our prayers not because of the quality of our prayers, but because of his loving mercy and how he receives sinners to come to him through the name of his son. And he answers his people when they pray. The abundance of his steadfast love is what will give us confidence when we pray. And notice David bows down to God's holy temple. Why the holy temple? Because that's where God's saving grace was found in the Old Testament. The tabernacle and then the temple, that's where the animal sacrifices were made to atone for the guilt of sinners. This is what enabled a sinner like David to come before a holy God. God had provided a sacrifice in the place of the sinner. But the animals in David's time were unable to atone for man's sin. But they pointed forward to a perfect sacrifice, to the true Lamb of God who would one day come and wash away our sins once and for all. And friends, that day has already come. So as David went to the tabernacle, the temple, we come to the cross of Christ. We bow down where God's sinless son was crucified once and for all in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that we would be saved. The gospel teaches that no one can be saved apart from the grace of God in Christ. God's wrath, as David has said, burns against sin. Unless we come by the way that God's mercy has provided, David looked to the temple, we now look to the cross, the blood of Christ. Unless we come that way, we cannot come at all. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings with our prayer of confession. We are saying, no matter how bad you think you are, or how badly you sinned that week, if you come to God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, you will be accepted into his steadfast love. Not only are we confessing our sins to the Lord, we are confessing the gospel 
When we say the confession of sin and then we read that assurance of pardon, we need to know that we have been accepted even though we are so unworthy. And yet there's a flip side to that as well. Because it's possible to think that because we are faithful churchgoers, because we serve the poor, because we've memorized a whole bunch of Bible verses, that we're better than others. That same confession of sin reminds us that only if we come through the blood of Christ will we be able to come. So my question to you this morning is, have you come to God in faith through Jesus Christ? Because if you have not, you have no confidence that God will answer your prayers. And God's wrath abides on you because of your sin. And to his glory, it is so because he is a God who hates wickedness. So I urge you, if you don't believe in Jesus, come to God through Jesus today, now, while you have the opportunity. But we all need to confess our sins often to bring ourselves before the Lord to be renewed and reminded of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. David says that he comes by the abundance of God's steadfast love, and for us that is found in Jesus. We have seen that prayer involves coming to God, appealing to God's character, confessing our sin and God's mercy, and fourthly, prayer involves presenting our requests. When we come to God and his mercy by the blood of his son, we should pray freely and boldly. Only after we have come acknowledging who God is, acknowledging our sin and our need for his mercy and grace, but when that happens, we can present our requests before the Lord, and that's what David does in this passage. Look at verse 8. He prays, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. He says, God, I don't know what to do. I need your help. Give me counsel. Guide me. It seems as though as David is praying for protection from the wicked people, he's also praying for protection to not become like them. This psalm could be from any time in David's life. He was in this type of situation so many times, but he turns to God for direction. Lead me. He not only prays for guidance, but also for God's help. Look at verse 10. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Now, many people don't like this verse. They say that David shouldn't be condemning his enemies. But this isn't David trying to take revenge for himself. What David wants is for God's righteousness to be upheld. There's a sense in which it's hard for us as sinners to, to pray that God would be glorified in judging other sinners. Right? There's, a, there's an awkwardness in that. But what we, what we learn from the book of Revelation is that when we're in glory... Our purified hearts will rejoice just as much in God's judgment 
than in God's salvation. And so we should not be afraid to ask God to oppose evil. If there's evil in the world and wicked people, we should pray that God would hold them accountable and responsible. The fact that abortion clinics are still operating and killing human beings is a great sin and evil. The physical and sexual abuse that happens and that is covered up, that's wicked. The affirmation of same-sex relationships and people thinking that they can call themselves a different gender than what God created them to be is rebellion against God. They are an offense to God's righteousness and an abomination in our land. We should pray against them while also seeking the salvation of those who take part in them. That's the New Testament teaching. Just think about it. The Apostle Paul, who was he before he was the Apostle Paul? Saul, the great persecutor of the church. But God radically saved him and used him to build the foundation of the church that exists today. And so we pray for God to oppose evil and also to save sinful people like us. Well, Psalm 5 teaches us that prayer involves coming to God, appealing to God's character, confessing our sin in God's mercy, presenting our requests. And the fifth and last point, prayer involves rejoicing in the refuge of God. Look at verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Now David is calling all who believe in God to worship. Let them sing for joy. One of the greatest blessings in prayer doesn't place in our circumstances changing, but in our own hearts as we pray. One of the things that prayer changes is us. God blesses us with joy and peace. And David recognizes that prayer to God is a refuge. And then he gives these two metaphors. He asks God to spread his protection over them. The wording there gives us this image of a, a mother hen who spreads her wings over her chicks. He also writes that the Lord covers his people with favor as with a shield. If you know God, you will experience the peace of him covering you with his protection as a shield. Those who take refuge in God, those who love his name, those who have been made righteous through Christ will experience God's power and protection as they pray. And this results in rejoicing. Can you say that that is true for you? If not, you should do what David did. Come to God. Confess your guilt and sin and cast yourself upon the mercy that God has provided through the death of his son, Jesus. And if you're here and you have done that, you should be eager to pray 
to come to God, to worship him, to confess your need of his saving grace again and again, and then presenting your requests with boldness and confidence, believing and expecting that no matter what happens, you will receive joy and peace that only he can give and that he gives to his people when they pray. Our confidence in prayer relies on God's character and the abundance of his steadfast love. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you are not a God who delights in wickedness. You hate all evildoers, and we affirm this beautiful truth. We also confess and repent with what it reveals about us. We are sinful and in need of your steadfast love. Lead us in the ways of your righteousness. Help us not to forsake this great means that you have given us. Let it not be said of us, you have not because you ask not. We thank you that you have spread your protection over us. We rejoice that we are counted righteous in Jesus. And even as we <clears throat> finish this service by coming to the Lord's table, help us to remember that it took the death of your Son to save us from our sins. You have truly blessed us with the abundance of your steadfast love. We pray in the name of our King and our God, Jesus Christ.